from promoting voter registration to inspiring informed engagement and providing support for students, faculty, and staff, Stony Brook University has been reaching out to the entire campus community with programs, services, messages, and campaigns designed to ensure civil discourse and debate during one of the most challenging times in our nation's history. I'm Laura Lindenfeld, the Dean of Stony Brook's School of Journalism and Executive Director of the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science. I'm so pleased to be here hosting today's Beyond the Expected podcast, aptly titled Election 2020, Preparing for the Day After. During such a contentious election, it's important that we come together with empathy as a campus and a community to bridge the partisan divide. With Election Day just one day away, we'll be hearing from three university experts about all the programs and services we have planned for the day and days after this historic event. We'll share all we're doing to try to ease anxiety and handle inevitable election night fallout no matter what the outcome. Specifically, we'll take a look at the services and support we'll be providing for our students, faculty, and staff to maintain health and well-being during this stressful time. We'll also take a close look at the psychology behind today's political climate, why people are feeling the way they are, and how they can work through divisions, fear, anxiety, and uncertainty, all of which have risen to fever pitch this year. And finally, we'll look at plans we have to continue to promote our values of caring, respect, and civility a critical topic that now has its own dedicated Stony Brook University website. I'd like to now welcome our panelists. Jeffrey Barnett is Interim Assistant Dean of Students. In this role, he's responsible for areas such as community building initiatives, large-scale programming, policy development, and student crisis response and case management. And he'll talk about specific post-election programs. Catherine Duffy is our Director of Healthy You Initiative. In her role, she implements a full suite of programs designed to support a healthy work environment and provide opportunities for staff and faculty to enhance their physical, fiscal, and mental health. Like Jeff, she will share with us the post-election services and support that will be available. And Yana Kripnikov is an Associate Professor in the Department of Political Science. She integrates psychology and political science to identify new points at which new information can have the most profound effect on the way people form political opinions, make political choices, and ultimately take political action. Please join our conversation with constructive comments or questions on Facebook Live, where we will be answering questions in real time. Welcome, everyone. So good to have you here. Let's get started. Yana, I'd like to start with you. I'd like you to set the stage for our conversation. We all know that politics is one of those hot button topics that can incite anger, anxiety, agitation, a lot of A words. But why is that the case? Tell us about your research in this area. Thank you. So politics makes us anxious and it makes us feel a lot of emotions um, because a lot's at stake. Right. The reason we all feel anxious about the outcome of the election is because we really care about our communities. We care about what happens to the country. Uh, we care about what happens to issues that are really, really important to us. And so it's 
actually quite natural to feel anxious when a lot of things are at stake. Um, in the political science department, my colleagues have been studying the role of emotions in politics for decades and decades and decades. Uh, and what we find is that emotions have actually two effects. First of all, they, of course, make us uncomfortable. Um, nobody wants to be anxious. It's not a great feeling. Um, nobody wants to be angry. We'd rather feel happy and proud and enthusiastic. But on the other hand, some of these emotions that we feel from politics are actually the very things that um, make us take action. The reason that people are going to wait for three hours in the cold to vote uh, is because they do feel proud, but they also feel angry. Um, they feel hopeful, but they feel really scared. Um, the reason that uh, people are going to take to social media and express how they feel about politics is exactly for that same thing. So emotions are a double-edged sword. Because we feel emotions, we do good things. We do things that change the world, that do things that change politics. But because there's so much at stake and because we feel emotions, we do things that aren't quite as productive. We might be angry at somebody. We might say things that we regret. So there's a lot of natural emotions in politics. The question is, how are we going to channel them? I love this explanation. I'm thinking about how I was standing outside freezing on Saturday. Thank you for that. So <laughs> helpful. So these deep feelings and challenges are nothing new, but this election is different. Why is this climate so supercharged right now? What do you what do you think? Well, what makes this election uh, unique in some ways is that we've reached a fever pitch of the twenty four hour news cycle. If we think of years and years ago, right, like you would get news one day, uh, one time during the day, and that's when you got your news, and that would be it. And now, if I wanted to follow the news, um, I could do it for twenty four hours. Um, if I then wanted to go and see what my neighbors think about the news, I could go do that too. I could go to next door. I could go to Twitter. And those things are going to exacerbate our emotions. So we have an election that is being heavily played out on 24-hour media, that's being heavily played out on Twitter, that is being heavily played out on social media. Moreover, we have an election where there has been some negative campaigning by the candidates. Uh, we have an election that is following a pandemic that has so intensely changed people's lives, um, of course, this is going to seem so extremely important. Uh, we have an election at a time where um, we don't have justice for a large group of people in this country. It makes sense that uh, in this particular context, all of these things are combining to increase how we feel about what's at stake in a given political outcome. Thank you for that synthesis. Sometimes I forget we have so much coming at us all at once. And here we are. We're still talking and smiling, at least in this studio today. Um, Jeff, let me turn to you. Students across campuses in the U.S. are grappling with so many unprecedented issues and challenges this year, uh, which you just outlined so beautifully, Yana, and, and more, of course. Now there are the elections with uncertain outcomes and potential post-election conflicts. What's the main message we've been telling our students in this environment? Yana, I, I agree. Yana did a, an elegant job laying the context. And, and my response is to understand the message. We do need to understand the context. And um, Dr. McGinnis sent out a community message last night that I think was so timely, um, honest, and poignant. And, and she speaks to that context in that message. And you know, we're in a global pandemic that has shifted our students' lives dramatically. Um, and folks are still 
trying to absorb um, the new normal, right, is the term we use all the time. Um, we have this contentious national debate. Um, we're in a period of civic civil unrest and civic engagement, strong civic engagement for our students, the economy, extreme uh, climate challenges. We got up to Hurricane Zeta this year. Um, so, so it's understandable our students have had a very difficult time grappling with many, many issues. And our message to them is that, you know, if again, if you fall back to Dr. McGinnis's message, is that we're a mission-driven institution. We rely on our values, and we are principle-centered leaders here. And if you understand our mission and our values and our principles, then understanding what our message and our actions need to be is really easy. They sort of answer themselves. So our, our mission is that we are for the highest quality education, research, and healthcare. We're a caring, respectful, and supportive community. We are um, a cel we celebrate diversity and diverse perspectives and inclusion. And we value freedom of expression, free speech, vigorous exploration, and debate of intellectual ideas. So our mission and our message to students is that we are a community, and there is comfort in community. Um, there is safety in community. There is strength in community. There's hope in our community. That if there's a tool that you need to get engaged in, in your civic engagement, we offer that here for you through our Center for Civic Engagement and our Department of Student Community Development, that we have opportunities to learn about the issues, the policies, the psychology behind the emotions of what drives us, and that there's deep support here for you as well, however you might need that. I'm sure you share my sentiment. I'm so proud of our student body. People have been so responsible and supportive. Um, what's the vibe like out there from your perspective? Maybe even a story or two of what you're seeing and experiencing. There's energy. Uh, there's anxiety. Um, there is stress. There is worry, um, but there's excitement and there's hope. Um, the place to be on campus, the busiest place on campus is the Center for Civic Justice. Everybody thinks it's the dining hall or, you know, the place you go to get your parking permit, but um, students are coming in and out of the Center for Civic Justice either to get their free stamps, to get their absentee ballots, um, they, for all the voter registration forms back in September when the deadline hit. So there's a lot of mobilization right now with our students. We're seeing some of that play out in some of the campus community and some of our activities as well. Our black student-athlete Huddle and our NAACP student organization organized a rally last uh, two weeks ago, which really brought the community out and brought a sense of unity on, on campus in many ways. It was great to see that energy, uh, and it was great to see our, our community come together. And Yana, I'll bet you could weigh in on this next question that um, I can imagine having something to do helps you feel more empowered during a difficult time like this. Is that, does that line up with what you know? Yeah, I think um, believing that you have some way of changing the outcome will certainly make you feel a greater sense of efficacy. Uh, if you think that you can help somebody vote, if you think um, that you can make something better, it's certainly going to make you feel um, less anxious, less powerless, less kind of um, on the outskirts of something big that's going to be happening to you. Awesome. I'm a doer. I like to get things done. I know all of you do, too. Jeff, so share with us some of the types of programming we have planned for the university to help students cope and get along, get active post-election day. I know that it will include some of the great work from your Center for Civic Justice and the Presidential Election Planning Group. So tell us more. How can we get people engaged and active? So there has been a pre-program uh, pre planning activity during, uh, I'm sorry, pre-election 
current election and the post-election. And so the Presidential uh, Election University Task Force uh, is a campus-wide task force that came together under the leadership of Center for Civic Justice, and they provided a 77-point outreach strategy for engaging students and the campus community in voter registration, voter education, voter engagement, and hopefully that will result in voter turnout both in early election as well as absentee ballots. And then here we're a polling location on campus in our recreation and wellness center tomorrow. Um, they've done amazing work in that pre-election sort of period. Um, provided, for example, some highlights is they've done debate views and viewings and reflections. Um, they've coordinated programs for National Voter Engagement Week. A 10-part, I think it turned into a 14-part Instagram Live faculty series talking about all different um, content experts and subject matters related to the action with the election, whether it was psychology, political science, and all of our disciplines. Uh, they've worked with our Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching to support instructional activities for how we can have civil dialogue within the classrooms as well. And the ALDA Center is, is doing a lot of work on that in the next couple of weeks as well. So the pre-election period was 77-point outreach, and they were very active there as well. Uh, Post-election, we tried to think a lot about what might students need, where are they at, how are they feeling, how might they be feeling, and what might our world be looking like tomorrow and the day after and the weeks to come. And we've put together a couple of things. And again, I really want to give a lot of credit to the Center for Civic Justice and their team of 40 interns for doing so. But they have a toolkit. Um, first was a, a, a Seawolves vote checklist. If you're going to vote, here's your checklist. Have you done X, Y, Z? Here's everything and anything you might need to know in order to get your voice heard and to cast your ballot properly. Um, they've also put together a toolkit for instructors, student organization leaders, advisors to student organizations, and students. Uh, faculty and staff across the campus to say there's there might be things that would be helpful for you right now as we engaged in the post-election period from understanding the value of emotions to how to have difficult and navigate difficult conversations and also towards going back home the transition home how you might have conversations with family about politics and we know the holidays are coming up. Thanksgiving is the, you know, the, the <laughs> critical time where a lot of that tends to happen. Um, we have sort of bucketed programming. There, there's over 100 post-election period programs now over the next three weeks um, that we've put into three sort of categories. Seawolves Learn, Seawolves Engage, and Seawolves Support. We thought that those are the three areas that we think our students might need to be most supported. Seawolves Learn are programs that support students' current and ongoing understanding of the electoral process process, vote counting, uh, constitutional issues, legal matters. Seawolves Engage are opportunities for students to de-stress or to involve in community building activities because we think that sense of community really binds us together, helps us. It, it has a protective factor for some of the negative emotions we might experience sometimes. Um, and we need ways to healthily and, and appropriately de-stress. And Seawolves Support provides macro level, meso level, and micro level opportunities for students to get the kind of support they might need, whether that's through a community dialogue, which is scheduled for Wednesday of this week called Siebel's voted now what? You know, what happens from here and to engage in those kinds of conversations to our Center for Prevention and Outreach and our, our counseling and psychological services area, which provide a regular series of programs called Let's Talk, where students can impromptly come together um, and just talk about what's on their mind. They'll have an electoral lens and filter to those conversations and discussions this week, too. And our, our staff is prepared to, to navigate those kinds of conversations. We also have student organizations that meet regularly through the LGBTQ services office and area to talk about um, 
anything that is on the mind of the group for that week. And we think this week and next week, it certainly might be the election. So empowering, so supportive, so engaging. Thank you for all you and your groups are doing. Maybe one final question on on this thread, and then we'll turn our attention to Catherine in a moment. Um, Were there any particular issues or challenges you and others were anticipating as you designed these programs? And if so, what kind of uh, things are you trying to foster? So I through the program. Yeah, I think the I think the the codification of the programs and activities sort of describe what we were trying to guard against or hope to build, and that was build a sense of community. Right, Seawolves engaged. We need we need opportunities to come together to talk through things, to process, uh, to not think about the election for a moment. Um, and so we were actively trying to to build a way to build community again at that macro, meso, and micro level. Uh, we were trying to provide important uh, support structures across the curriculum and the co-curriculum. In the curriculum, again, the ALDA Center is providing important support um, in how to foster civil conversations within the, the, the instructional environment in the classroom. Um, and in the co-curriculum, we have that toolkit for our student organization advisors, our residential staff who have gone through some trainings and conversations to prepare for this for the next week, too. Um, we have some several students feel vulnerable. Many of our students feel vulnerable right now. And we need to be aware of that. We need to acknowledge that and we need to prepare for supporting them in those ways. Um, and then, again, as I mentioned before, preparing our residential students to transition back home and how that might be different conversation space for some of them, depending on the outcome of the election. Thank you so much for your leadership in all of this. Catherine, let's turn our attention to faculty and staff. Um, Tell us a little more about the work you're doing at Healthier You uh, in general to help people cope with a wide range of issues this year, which Yana so elegantly summarized, including but not limited to the election results compounded by everything else. Yes. Um, yeah, thank you. So with Healthier You, I think the focus this year, especially with in, in the wake of COVID, um, has really been on um providing employees, you know, faculty and staff with support uh, for relaxation, um, you know, particularly at the hospital side, I think, as they've grappled with COVID. Um, There is the new uh, Resilience at the Brook Room, which um, just debuted in August. This started out um, as uh, an impromptu resilience space on the 12th floor of the hospital during the height of the pandemic, the first wave. And, uh, you know, it was recognized the important resource this was for for fact, uh, for um, hospital employees. And uh, so now it's a permanent space on the fifth floor. So we really want to get the word out to employees that this is a space for them to go and decompress um, if when there are breaks, if there are breaks. Um, so we're continuing to work collaboratively with um, a bunch of departments over at the hospital side. The human resources department at the hospital side has been really instrumental in setting up the space. Um, this Adam Gonzalez and the Center for um, Clinical Mind Body Research, uh, his whole team um, has been running, you know, meditation out of that space twice a day. So anything that Healthier You can do to help promote that space and support it. Um, I'm working with the uh, Department of Family Medicine with their dietetic interns to support uh, nutrition uh, counseling. They're doing sort of uh, brief interventions with employees as they're running by with their coffee or um, and we're trying to encourage them to use the room it, when they can and also take advantage of uh, more in-depth nutrition counseling um, in the employee health office at the hospital which is on the eighth floor um, so yeah really 
things aimed at uh, relaxation because of all the you know fatigue and you know overwhelm that really has um, has affected folks on the east side of campus and starting to think about that in the with the election you know how people might be feeling all over campus that certainly has been top of mind I imagine you know scales and you just keep adding one more straw and then they tip yeah exactly well thank you as well for the service you're providing how are you leveraging or even transforming these specific post-election potential issues in the work you're doing? Yeah, so um, we're I'm definitely leaning heavily on um, the employee assistance program, which is part of Healthier You. Colleen Stanley has been a longtime uh, amazing support to the employees of Stony Brook University and continues to be. So Colleen and I collaborate um, through EAP to offer um you know, confidential um, individual support. And um, we've decided to, um, similar to the Let's Talk program that that, um, Jeff brought up, have, um, we're calling them fireside chats. So we're offering it to employees who want to um, maybe come together in community in the wake of the election to just process what they're feeling and and come up with support. And we're really open to see where these conversations go. We're not sure where they're going to go, but we're going to be there as a listening ear and um, as a support. And EAP um, is really, it's um, an assess and refer program. So it's not clinical counseling, but we're, you know, we certainly will take advantage of all the referral resources that Colleen has gathered over the years and uh, continue to do that. We have um, Healthier You has scheduled a a weekly wellness um, series for November that's going to be located in the new student union, which is really the heart of student life that Jeff was talking about. And a ton of our employees that are in direct support of students are there now. And there's a beautiful ballroom (laughs) that we can gather in a socially distant way um, to do things like meditation. Um, We're going to do a labyrinth walk there. Uh, next week, um, things, you know, gratitude, yoga, things like that, ways to sort of uh, <laughs> refill the well, as it were, as, you know, people are fatigued. And, you know, it's coming toward the end of this of a tough semester. Let me ask all three of you, um, what do you do to keep, I got a puppy right oh. before <laughs> the pandemic hit, who knew? So I walk him all the time, and I've turned it into kind of a meditative experience when he's not chasing squirrels but what do you do to take care of yourself what works best for you right now Catherine well I you know I for one I started running with a group of women that I used to run solo and then you know maybe it was in timing with my transition to healthier you I started running with a group to sort of up my mileage and and um speed and I I anticipated the physical benefits of this group of women that are amazing, but I had no idea the the sort of social and emotional benefit that I would gain from, you know, being together with them, running in our masks during during a really fraught time, and just getting each other through. You know, all of us have kids at different ages, and and all the challenges that that people have. So it's yeah, wonderful. it's helped. <laughs> you want to take my puppy with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about you, Yana? Anything you've been doing in particular that you find especially helpful? 
Um, so I have a toddler. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like having a puppy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also have a puppy. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. And so I, I think kind of spending time with her has been sort of effective, right? Because you're not gonna you're not gonna try to explain to a toddler what the election is. Talk about being present yes. in the yes. moment. Yes. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. But I have to say. Um, uh, I've found uh, the Stony Brook undergraduate students that I've talked to, and I've talked to them for the Instagram Live program and uh, for a stream for that the statesman is going to be doing for election night. Um, and I found um, actually talking to the students to be incredibly hopeful. Um, you know, they're asking brilliant questions. Uh, they're having really good conversations. Uh, one young woman told me that she is encouraging all her friends to vote, but she's not asking them who they're voting for. She's just kind of making it a thing that they're all going to go out to the polls. And I think um, kind of no matter what happens, knowing that these students are kind of out there, that they're doing this work should make everyone incredibly hopeful. If you can't see this, I'm smiling ear to ear. So energized by all of you and our amazing students. Jeff, how about you? What are your secrets for surviving? I, I, lo- I love that answer. And that's that's why us in student affairs work in student affairs is for that those moments every day. Um, like Catherine, I run. I'm part of a running group. And we've Catherine has joined us for 5K Fridays at 5. I'm going to put in a little pitch there. If you run or you walk or you don't, come join us at 5 o'clock on Fridays at Gate 2 in the stadium, and we go for a 5K walk, walk, run. Uh, And it's a great way to end the week. Um, A lot of first-year students have wound up joining us, and we try to bring in different faculty and staff every week who might run uh, so they can get a chance to get to know them. So that's my outlet, and and I hate running, but I love how I feel (laughs) after I run. Um, and, And knowing that I have a group of undergraduates waiting for me to show up pushes me to to be there and get the run in um but you know yana i i want to build off what you said because we were having this exact conversation um with our staff in some of these subcommittee uh, meetings and we said all right what what are students going to need and how can we help them and one of our colleagues wisely brought up i don't know where i'm going to be and how i'm going to be feeling and we said yes absolutely so so we need to address that within within our own group um, and with our colleagues and provide support. And we love the support that Healthier U is providing to do that. But my my response was, do you know what helps me is students. It's, it's being with I don't know that I need to program for students or at students or to students. I need to program and be with students because that is soul uh, rejuvenating for me. It revives me. It gives me energy and it gives me hope for them because they are brilliant. Um, and, and, you know, this is we've heard this before. This is the generation we've been waiting for. And they prove that every day. Awesome. Catherine, um, are there groups of people you think are especially vulnerable to stress and challenge in this current climate? And if so, yeah, who? You know, I don't think any of our employees have have been untouched by this, right? Whether you're a hospital employee who, um, you know, was on the front lines or you're a faculty member who had to upend your whole <laughs> way of working and, and teaching um, to um, folks who maybe are worried uh, you know, staff about budgetary cuts and what that might mean to them. Um, facilities, people, I mean, really, there's not one area that hasn't been touched. Um, so I'm particularly concerned about certainly, you know, first responders and things like that. But really, it's it's everyone. Um, I think Jeff talked about, uh, um, you know, folks who are feeling vulnerable. I know our um, employees who are, you know, employees of color are in particular 
you know, have been living with this for a long time. And when you think about Black Lives Matter starting in 2013 and systemic racism, you know, obviously being here for a lot longer, the people are um, having, uh, you know, feeling a lot of feelings and um, trying to be there to support them. You know, that's that's really we're here for everybody. Particularly in today's climate of unparalleled health and wellness challenges that come along with all of these stressors that we're facing, you've talked about a, a goal of kind of helping the helpers. Can you tell a little bit more about that focus? Yeah, you know, I think it's often the helpers, you know, those first responders maybe are not the first ones to ask, to seek out help. So, um, you know, trying to be there. We had a labyrinth walk a couple of weeks ago at the hospital side, and um, the facilitator was really smart and offered Spanish translation. So the idea is, you know, that maybe there's employees at the hospital who are in some of these jobs that you might not see front and center, but they're maybe cleaning in rooms or having to, you know, deal with COVID in a whole different way that we're not aware of. So trying to be mindful of that. Um, you know, thinking about some of the folks who couldn't stop or, or you know, go remote, uh, the child care center that didn't stop at all and, and continued. And infection control is just as important there as, it, you know, certainly as at the hospital. Um, so, yeah, thinking about first responders, uh, facility folks, all those, the helpers, the people, you know, hall directors, right, who... M- you know, or um, you know, we have how many forty five hundred uh, students living in the residence halls in a socially distant, safe way, and there's staff there, you know, supporting them and making it a positive living living environment in a in a such a different way, right? Because it's you know, campus residences is nothing if not community building, and, and they're having to modify everything that they do and support students and be present and positive given everything else they might be going through. So those are real first responders, I think, unsung heroes on our campus that, um, you know, I'm thinking about, and I hope that Healthier You can be there for them. If you're just joining us, we're here today with Jeffrey Barnett, Catherine Duffy, and Yana Kripnikov talking about how we're helping students, faculty, and staff handle any post-election day challenges in this special episode of Stony Brook University's Beyond the Expected podcast. Catherine, let me come back to another question with you on this thread we're talking about. Um, You know, I asked Jeff how he thinks students are faring. What's your sense of how faculty and staff have been feeling in general? And what are some of the challenges and opportunities you see for people? Um, yeah, I mean, anecdotally, some of the stuff we're seeing coming up through EAP um, and through Healthier You is people are, as, as both of you mentioned, Yana, too, um, there's some anxiety, there's um, worry, concern. You know, I think some of it is we may not know the, the answer to this election right away. And there's, you know, kind of more uncertainty around that. So that's certainly a challenge. Um, but I think when I think about opportunity, it is that civic engagement that you both discussed, the fact that we're more plugged into these things. And maybe it, it's a way for us to reframe this and think about the conversations and, you know, building community in a different way. And how can we, you know, so I'm excited about that. And, you know, if students are leading the way, fantastic, you know. Well, you, you, sort of named the next question I have. Jan, I'm going to turn back to you. Um, it looks like we have 
three potential outcomes of this election. Either one of the candidates wins or there's an uncertain outcome, which could drag on for a while. And the commensurate stress that goes with waiting, um, what do you think is tough, toughest for people to deal with psychologically of these of these outcomes? Well, I think uncertainty is always <laughs> uncertainty is always the toughest thing, um, especially when we don't know uh, what the nature of the uncertainty is. Um, that being said, I do want to kind of emphasize here um, that some of this uncertainty does not necessarily mean that something has gone wrong. If a state takes some extra time to count ballots, uh, it is because we're in an unprecedented election situation. It's because there's uh, more mail-in ballots than have ever been. and there's nothing, there's literally no political science evidence to suggest in any way that these mail-in ballots are invalid or that the states are kind of doing something wrong. Just because it's taking a long time does not mean that something bad has happened. It just means that this is sort of the natural uh, context of running an election in a pandemic, um, just like how we've run other things in a pandemic. We're all just sitting here shaking our heads. And, you know, this is maybe a silly question, but why is uncertainty so hard for us? I mean, I like to watch thriller shows, and the whole point of it is the uncertainty of who done it, and we're going to figure it out. But I guess when the stakes are so different, yeah. what can you say about that? Well, there's a lot of research on why, on why uh, <laughs> you know, uncertainty is difficult for, for people to handle. But the way to think about it, right, is that if you are, let's say you had an exam, you know, a really kind of pivotal exam for you, um, and you were waiting to see if you pass or fail. If you pass, you're excited, you're celebrating, you're going to move on to new things, right? If you fail, you know that it went poorly, so you're, you're going to basically begin to figure out what the next steps are, right? How, how do I deal with this? What do I do? Um, when you're uncertain, you're basically standing still. You're essentially waiting. And so in some ways, almost the worst part is imagining how you're going to feel if should you fail. That anticipation of something terrible, of the, of the, the horrible feelings you're going to experience, um, in some ways could be worse than actually the feelings themselves. So just kind of not knowing what's going to happen, I think, is, is giving people worry because they're anticipating their own feelings, but they're also anticipating something that they don't want to have happen to actually happen. I'm so glad I asked you that. That was such a nuanced and and thoughtful answer. And I imagine different people, depending on who you are, experience uncertainty differently, and it may affect some more severely than others, right? Yes. Um, Yeah, there's certainly people who are, I guess, certainly people who are better at dealing with uncertainty. Um, But yes, um, there are people who... um, kind of we can pinpoint um, are less likely to kind of anticipate how they're going to feel. So I personally am pretty terrible at thinking 10 steps down the line um, about the worst possible thing that could happen. Uh, So for me, uncertainty is not great at all. You know, I have friends who are more kind of just handling it in the moment, who deal with it much, much better. Uh, But if you're a person who, like me, uh, can't kind of handle thinking about what might happen, um, who actually kind of just, you know, wants to like take a nap and wake up on the other side of the election. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this part is going to be difficult for you. I think I'm 
blessed with a certain level of comfort with ambiguity, like doing this podcast, (laughs) (laughs) thinking of questions that are just getting amazing responses to. Um, What advice do you give people about expressing their political opinions, um, thinking about doing that without anxiety and without conflict or confrontation? Can you give us some thoughts on how to how to do that well, build bridges rather than <laughs> retrench our camps? Well, I think that um, I think people need to ask themselves as to why they're expressing a political feeling, um, a political opinion. Um, there's research to suggest that going to social media and expressing how you feel could actually make us feel better. Um, there is research to suggest that even when we track people's kind of brain functions, there's some happiness, there's some positive jolts they get from being able to share their feelings with others, which absolutely makes sense. Um, that being said, I think um, it's important to also consider that not everyone might agree with you, um, that you might get some feedback that um, doesn't necessarily make you feel good about yourself. Um, But from that perspective, um, I think one thing to think about when you think about expressing yourself is that people are great at dismissing points that go against their worldview. It doesn't mean that you've done a bad job expressing yourself. It doesn't mean that you've said anything wrong. There's actually a term for it called motivated reasoning. People are great at motivated reasoning, at reasoning away things that they don't agree with. Um, And sometimes it's actually okay to basically walk away from that argument. You might not change your uncle's mind thinking of students going back home for for the holidays. But politics is an extremely lengthy process. Just because you've expressed yourself and you've gotten a bad response from somebody you're speaking to doesn't mean that you don't have any capacity to change the things in politics that you think are wrong and bad and unjust. That's interesting. So it's important to separate that maybe individual communication that doesn't go so well from your overall sense of efficacy. Yeah, most most things that have been accomplished in politics uh, and a lot of social movements have taken an extraordinarily long time of people faced with a lot, a lot of disagreement and a lot of motivated reasoning. That's so helpful to hear <laughs> and remember. Um, how and when should people generally go about getting good, valid election information on which to base their decisions, especially when you have these cultural frameworks in which we work that may limit what we're even willing or able to take in? So they're basically going to be two information points. So by this point, I think everyone has made up their mind, has gotten <laughs> has gotten the information they need for the election. There's going to be the post-election point where there, we're also going to be kind of in this uh, just flood of information coming at you. Um, I think it is reasonable to at points, going to what Catherine was talking about, uh, to step away from information for a bit. You don't have to be following on what has happened in the election 24-7. Um, I think it's also important 
to uh, follow information that comes from reputable media sources. Um, you're not necessarily going to gain anything from going to next door uh, to see somebody writing about, I don't know, what their friend's girlfriend's aunt saw at her polling place. Um, that's not necessarily going to be information that's going to be helpful or information that's going to help you function better. You don't know if it's valid. Um, I think a lot of journalists have gotten done uh, actually a profoundly great job covering an extraordinarily difficult election. Um, and I think following that information uh, uh, will be sort of the best way to stay informed without kind of veering off into areas that make you feel worse for reasons that um, aren't necessarily all that valid. Yeah, it's both a daunting time for journalists and a huge opportunity. Um, I'm so impressed with lots of what the coverage we're, we're hearing out there. And to your point about people making up their minds, I stood there in the freezing cold on Saturday morning thinking nobody in their right mind standing here if they don't know who they're going to vote for before they walk in. So, <laughs> And research, research is on your side to that end. People know exactly who they're voting for before they show up. There's no ambiguity. <laughs> um, all three of you, like other institutions, we've put a spotlight here at Stony Brook on making sure people uphold the values this university is built on and that they pay particular attention to this in stressful times, which I think can help mitigate some of the affect that comes up when you feel stressed. How important do each of you deem the areas of respect and civility toward one another? Catherine, let's start with you. Yeah, I mean, I think it re as Jeff talked about our core values, right? It speaks to who we are as a as a public institution of higher learning. Um, and I think a lot about my time in student affairs and just even you know the notion of what's a sea wolf, right? It's not just something we talk about or you know we we chant at at football games when they can have football games. <laughs> um, <laughs> Back in the day, <laughs> yeah. it's it's about it's a sense of community. It's I'm a Seawolf, you're a Seawolf, I care about you. Um, and all the bystander intervention work that Student Affairs is so great at promoting and, um, you know, the care. When I thinking about um, during the height of COVID for us in the spring and the community response and the volunteers and, you know, the donations that came into the Wong Center. And um, if I could shout out Joan Dickinson in Community yeah. Relations, who worked with folks on the hospital side to kind of traffic cop uh, tons of PPE and other things. Like, so I kind of think it, it was like the better angels of our nature coming through. And I think they tend to do that here at Stony Brook, in my experience as an alum and an employee here, whether it's our students stepping up um, to support one another around uh, you know, areas, uh, toxic drinking or sexual violence or things like that, or in this case, civic engagement. And, and to do it in this amazingly nonpartisan way is, is incredible. Um, so to me, it really just speaks to, I think about those things. Um, and I'm, I, you know, even healthier you to be, I'm, I feel blessed to that the president's office thinks that it's important to have a department to care about employee wellness um, it went both from a, you know, behavioral health and physical health kind of all together. So, yeah. 
I couldn't agree more. <laughs> it's funny as you're talking about what happened last spring, it feels like, doesn't it feel like 20 years ago? <laughs> yes. Like I've aged that much in a short period of time. But it's important to remember those efforts yeah, and hearken back to them and think about how people pulled together. Mm-hmm. Jeff, how about you? When you think about those concepts, respect, civility... They're critical. Um, and, and I love the reference to what's a Seawolf, I'm a Seawolf, because what does that mean, right? We, we were taunted <laughs> by some other Americas teams, and we said, we need to pivot that and use that for empowerment. And we had to define it. What does it mean to be a Seawolf? Quite simply, it's we take care of each other. We look out for each other. And, and that's, that's community. Community is not this um, superficial term. Of, of feeling just, oh, that's a nicety. There is deep scholarship in this. In fact, this former SUNY chancellor, Ernest Boyer, 1990, created the principles of community. And so if we go to that as a reference point and say, you know, that undergirds what we mean by care, um, respect, and civility, he lists out, you know, principles of communities where educationally purposeful community, right? We're a place where faculty, we share same academic goals and to learn and challenge and debate. We're an open community, a place where free speech is protected and civility is uh, powerfully affirmed. Uh, We're a just community, um, a place where sacredness of each person is honored and diversity is aggressively pursued in inclusion. We're disciplined. We accept our obligation to the group and we're caring. We're a place where each member of the community uh, is sensitively supported and where service to others is encouraged. Uh, and we're a celebrative community. So those are the principles of community that sort of undergird these notions of caring, uh, respect, and civility. And, and we are grounded in that here at the university with our statement of community, which was written years ago and then translated into an action point in terms of the community pledge, where students and faculty and staff can make an active affirmation and, and commitment to those values. This is what it means for me to be a member of this community, and you have my commitment to you as my colleague, my student, and, and my peer that I will look out for the welfare of you and all of us. That's wonderful. I think, you know, the word communication comes from the word community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's That's just uh, wonderful to think back about those points. Yana, how about, how about you? Um, well, I think, you know, uh, these things are incredibly important, and I hope um, that students on the campus take uh, some of the spirit into the post-election world. Um, no matter who wins, there's still going to be injustice. There's still going to be community difficulties. Um, there's still going to be uncertainty for a lot of our community members. I'm thinking especially, for example, for international students who have a tremendous amount of uncertainty about what's going to happen for, uh, for them. There's uncertainty for students of color, um, and I hope that we kind of take take a lot of what's been building in terms of the election um, and kind of uh, head into a post-election world, no matter what happens, no matter what the outcome is. So I'd like to ask each of you to think about, is there a story you could share with our listeners that's inspired you over the past six, seven months since COVID hit and into this election? Just take a moment and think if you faculty member, student, staff. I can talk about the food pantry. There's one unfolding now. And then there's, you know, if we go (laughs) dial back to to months ago, uh, our food pantry is relocated to the Stony Brook Union. It's beautiful, wonderful. It's always been great. Um, But when the pandemic hit, we had to understand how do we provide services for our food insecure students and faculty and staff because the food pantry is open to all of our community members. 
but in this new environment. And the food pantry team quickly pivoted to a delivery service. They became Uber Eats um, for, <laughs> for Stony Brook. Um, and at the height of deliveries, there was one week where there were 87 deliveries that were made that week. And it was our students, um, Anne Green was one person that was coming in, Annie, uh, and Stephen Adelson to come in and put the orders together. And our hall directors distributed them and RA team and, um, and and, and folks were bringing it around. So that was a beautiful thing. The one that the story that's unfolding now is um, we have some students that are quarantined or in isolation. And but tomorrow's Election Day. How do we help reconcile your right to vote with keeping a community safe? That's that is the juxtaposition uh, juxtaposition of, of I like of, that right? word juxtaposition. <laughs> yes, that's right. A new word. <laughs> Let's call it that. Um, so, uh, so there are a cadre of colleagues right now scrambling to help support and figure this out. And there is a solution to this, but it requires getting an absentee application into the Board of Elections office by a certain time today. And there's a number of people volunteering, rushing, saying, I will do it, I will do it, I will do it uh, for, this, for this one vote, because that, that vote matters. Um, and so that's, that's an example of how our community even impromptly kind of really comes together. That's neat. Do either of you have one? I, so many things are coming in my head. Just since I'm somewhat new to Healthier You, I joined in January, and I've gotten to meet so many incredible people. Somebody who stands out in my mind, I think, is is Dr. Megan Lochner, who is uh, a labor and delivery uh, doctor, an o OB doctor, and um, really spearheaded something at the hospital called Code Lavender. Um, and this is something that happens. It, other hospitals have it, and Dr. Lochner has spearheaded it, and now it's really taken on a life of its own. And there's a whole committee um, spreading it department by department, hospital wide. And it's um, speaking of community, um, it's an effort at supporting employees um, when there's been an adverse um, effect or result at the hospital or something's been particularly trying on, on someone. Um, and it really is, is just a supportive, incredible group of people. And, you know, as a new person in employee wellness, that just, I thought, wow, these are great folks that I want to get to know. So Dr. Adam Gonzalez and others, um, patient advocacy is involved, um, the chaplains, Colleen Stanley, like just to me, the sense of folks working together to try to, um, you know, support one another has been really, uh, really wonderful to see. Awesome. Um, so I want to mention two things. So one, I actually want to return to a shout out that Catherine made. Um, I've been extremely inspired by the Stony Brook Child Care Center, <laughs> <laughs> which um, they have remained open. They remained open with a smile um, and have just been kind of the kindest group of people facing extraordinarily difficult circumstances. Um, uh, but the other thing that I think is inspiring is everyone who's voted. Um, we are in kind of intensely difficult times. There are people standing for hours. Um, there are people standing in the cold. There are people trying to rush to be able to vote. And um, we're in a country that has historically low voter turnout. Um, we are in a country that has made it actually quite difficult for lots of groups of people to vote, where states are continuously making it difficult for lots of people to vote. But to see people kind of all over the country standing in lines, I saw a woman standing in the rain with her baby to vote for hours. Um, I think that that should be inspiring. Um, we don't have to know every single thing about every tiny political detail, but the fact that people care enough to give so much of their time 
to cast ballots should be inspiring, I think, for, for all of us. I just want to meet with the three of you every week because this is so <laughs> uplifting. <laughs> we have about uh, 10 minutes left. Um, and I want to ask the three of you to think about some advice or message you'd like to share with students, faculty, and staff as we get ready for tomorrow and the, and the days to come. Catherine, what do you what do you have to share? You know, I, I think just preparing for the uncertainty and some of this, it's post-election uncertainty. It's, um, can I gather with my family at Thanksgiving? You know, and some of our students who are going home, you know, for Thanksgiving and with uh, with heightened tests and, you know, safety precautions. Um, it's, it's an anxiety-provoking time. So I think trying to find connection where you can with folks who maybe affirm who you are or, you know, and so maybe it, there's some cognitive dissonance there. I'm not sure. But, you know, we have to take care of one another through this time. And it's uh, hopefully it's, you know, not forever. And um, but, um, you know, so this may be a, a tough, long winter. So how can we, you know, intentionally tune out when we need to, um, but then also tune in to one another in a in this as safe a way as possible I know I'm something my family's working through with the holidays having a big family and you know I know that's on a lot of folks minds I love your use of the word intentional I think it encapsulates a lot of how we best approach this Jeff how about you there's clearly a lot of anxiety and uncertainty <laughs> surrounding this um, election period I, I, the advice, my message to, to students, to us colleagues is no matter what the outcome is, we're going to find a way to be okay. Um, and because the election is not inconsequential, right? I, it, it, I don't, not trying to minimize that at all. But so much of our reality is created here on the ground and within our own spheres of influence. And I've seen amazing work by our students in particular uh, cr try to create the world and reality and society that they wish for it to be. And they're doing that despite whoever's in office at whatever level anywhere. Um, and that's what leadership really is. Um, so I, I'm inspired by them. I continue to be. Um, and we will work to support um, the kinds of kind of world that they want to help create for themselves and for us. Yana, what are your thoughts? Um, and I can't go back to my take a nap and <laughs> this, is, this is all over. Life. Well, um, you could, but it would make for a very boring podcast. <laughs> um, you know, so if we look at research on voting and if we look at research on political science, we have this interesting drop off. Um, a lot of people care about the presidential election. Then. Uh, kind of a smaller group care about midterm and con congressional elections, and an even tinier group care cares about anything at the local level. But a lot of things that um, uh, affect us kind of on our, in our daily lives, things that are actually huge problems for lots of group of people, um, are things that are happening at the local level. And so I think that this um, kind of momentum, this interest that's been built up around the presidential election is... Um, important and I think it's inspiring and I think it's really, really great. And I hope that it can be channeled into um, some additional focus onto uh, these kind of local elections because a lot of times people get elected uh, for these local offices with very few votes. Nobody really knows who they are um, and they do certain things that um, might actually quite 
uh, intensely affect people's lives. So um, I hope that after kind of this election is over, no matter what happens, some of this interest is channeled into some local uh, level offices as well. I hope so, too. How do we, um, you know, there's disagreement about this election. How do we how do we mend relationships that may have been hurt after this is over? What do you think? Well, so I'm just a political psychologist. A broad level uh, psychologist. Um, <laughs> but I think um, I think it is actually okay to ask yourself, was this a political disagreement? Or did I have a disagreement with a person about the values that we hold important? Um, and if our political differences speak to a broad difference in values, um, you know, relationships change, right? We, we are closer to people who share our values. So I think it's important to think about um, why this election got in the way in the first place. That's great advice. I find myself often thinking, if I can get past a feeling of anger towards someone with whom I disagree and develop some curiosity about what they may be feeling or thinking, really use empathy. It, it, it just opens up whole different ways of conversing and thinking and engaging. Any last thoughts before we wrap up? Did you all vote already? I'm actually working at the polls tomorrow. <gasps> so as a state employee, awesome. <laughs> I'm able to take the holiday and uh, it'll be my first time working at the polls. And um, I decided to do it um, when in, or in the spring, you know, there was a lot of talk that maybe some immunocompromised or older uh, poll workers might not be able to do it. And I thought I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a job where I can, you know, can ask for the holiday and, um, and I'm healthy. And so I'm going to go to my local polling place and I'm really excited to be working and, uh, and to be able to vote tomorrow in person. Thank you for your service. <laughs> How about you two? I'm voting tomorrow. Uh, I don't expect long lines at my particular polling location. It happens to be in the community I live in, and I'm on the HOA board for setting up the <laughs> polling location. So, uh, but we, you know, I want to point out we will have staff here on campus starting at 2:30 this morning to set up uh, our polling location here at Stony Brook University, and we have. Over 100 volunteers across the university volunteering to help with line queuing, uh, social distancing, mass compliance. Um, so it's, it's really an amazing system and machine that, that we've been able to pivot to here. And, and many credit to our, our colleagues and, and leadership. Fantastic. And you? I voted by mail. Yeah. Look at We've got the whole array. <laughs> right. I stood out in the cold. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, I want to thank you for being our guests today. Jeff Barnett, Catherine Duffy, and Yana Krupnikov. Thank you for sharing your insights and plans for preparing the Stony Brook University campus community for Election Day 2020 and beyond. I'm Laura Lindenfeld, and I'm wishing everyone all the best in the days and weeks ahead. I also hope everyone takes away one of the main messages of today, caring, respect, and civility for others. Thank you.